Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. How was your Thanksgiving? Yes, it was, it was good. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. I know it was very good for us. I was a parent when last night I was trying to study and I found myself sort of drifting off because I was still suffering from the food coma. You know how that goes with that turkey that sort of sits down there and the gravy and the stuffing and the potatoes and did I mention the pie? Oh, it was a good, good holiday. And I think Thanksgiving is a particularly good holiday because it is so good to pause. It is so good to reflect and to recount how incredibly good God has been to us individually and how incredibly good God has been to us as a nation. Amen? He has been good. And Thanksgiving was an especially appropriate holiday to celebrate in anticipation of what we're going to be studying this morning. If you're new, I would like to welcome you. My name is Kurt, and I'm one of the pastors here at Crosswinds. Last week, uh, we began a small Advent series in preparation for Christmas. And this series is called Christmas from the book of Leviticus. Now, most of us think of Leviticus as a strange, rather obscure book with all kinds of bizarre rituals and things you're supposed to do and things you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to wear clothing that has, is woven of two different fabrics. And when there's mold or mildew on the side of your wall, you have to check it and see if it has any special colors in it. And it's all this random, bizarre stuff. But last week, we began working our way through the beginning of the book. The beginning of the book of Leviticus, in the first seven chapters, has five different offerings that God's people were to offer in worship to Him. And what we discover is these five offerings talk about five different facets of their relationship with God, and they also reflect five different facets of our relationship with God. And we also discover that these five offerings reflect what five different reasons that Christ came at Christmas. They tell us more about Jesus and what He came to do. And so last week we began looking at them, knowing that the more we were able to understand them and connect them with our New Testament life, the more we'd understand Jesus and why He came. Last week, we began with the first of the offerings. It was called the burnt offering. And by way of review, let me just briefly tell you about it. In the Old Testament, when somebody was going to dedicate their life to God, they did it a little differently than we do. Today, maybe if you're going to dedicate your life to God, you're going to become a Christian, you, might, write, you may write your name on a response card in an altar call. You may come forward at a time at the campfire at summer camp. In the Old Testament, when you were going to dedicate yourself completely and totally to God, you actually went out to your flock. You went out to your field. You grabbed either a bull, a sheep, a goat, or if you were very poor, you grabbed two turtle doves or some pigeons. And you, you brought them to the tabernacle. And there you put your hand on the head of that animal. And you confessed your sinfulness with, over that animal. 
And that animal became identified with you and your sin. And if it was a, a bull or if it was a goat or a sheep, which were the most common ones then, after you had identified with that animal and your sin was identified with it, you slit its throat. You killed it. And it died in your place for your sin. And the animal's blood was collected and it was spattered on the side of the altar. And that blood was said to cover your sin. The problem is that the blood only covered your sin. It didn't take it away. It just temporarily put it out of sight. In fact, we learned that these Old Testament burnt offerings were offered repeatedly again and again Two times a day at least, if not more, because the burnt offering, which brought you into a relationship with God, so to speak, was only covering your sin, and it needed to be done repeatedly. But we learned this all pointed forward to Jesus, because Jesus came, and Jesus died, and Jesus' death didn't just cover our sin, but it paid for our sin. Jesus doesn't have to be repeatedly sacrificed again and again, but He died once for all sin for all time. Now, in the Old Testament, they were saved by looking forward in the burnt offering to Jesus and what He would do. We're saved by looking back on Jesus, the ultimate burnt offering, and what He has done. So you see, in the Old Testament, people were saved by faith, looking forward to Jesus and His coming. And today, we're saved by faith, looking back upon Jesus and what He has done. Jesus is the one covering, or not just covering, but the one who paid for our sin. That was the first offering, the burnt offering we learned about last week. And if you didn't hear the message, I commend it to you. Go ahead and listen to it online at Crosswinds TV to get the rest of the details. Today we are moving on to the second offering in Leviticus chapter 2. It is called the grain offering. Now, the first question we have for your outline is this. What was the purpose of the grain offering? Let's begin by looking at the first verse. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it, and put frankincense on it. The first thing I'd like you to do is look at the second word for offering there. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, um, this is a special word. It's the Hebrew word mincha. Now, you don't need to pronounce the Hebrew word or even remember the Hebrew word too much. What you need to understand is the significance of what it's focusing on. Uh, this word is used in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verses 2 and 6, and it talks about how the Moabites and how the Arabians would bring mincha to King David. It was the way they brought tribute to him. So it was almost the way that you took to your overlord and you honored your overlord. You brought a tribute to your overlord. In fact, I put this down here. Mincha means giving tribute to a ruler or expressing recognition and thanks. Mincha means bringing tribute to a ruler or expressing recognition and thanks. 
So the grain offering that we're talking about here is a way of bringing tribute to God or expressing recognition to Him or thanks to Him for what He has done. Now, you notice that the grain offering is an offering of food. It is grain. People would bring it as a way of expressing thanks to God for providing their daily bread, for having food on the table. While the burnt offering was a way to dedicate your life to God, the grain offering was a way of thanking God for sustaining your life every day. Isn't that true? He sustains our life on a daily basis. So what people would do is they would take some of their grain, their daily bread, and with a heart of gratitude, they would give a portion of that as a grain offering to God. Now, isn't this a little bit like what church is like today? Some people have said to me, you know, why do you guys take offering in the service? You know, offering, that is so uncomfortable for people. You should just tell people to mail in their checks. It should all be about just focusing on Jesus and get the money aspect out of it. But here's the problem. What people did in the Old Testament, and I think what it's appropriate that we do in the New Testament times, is we take time to worship God by returning to Him an offering of thanks each week for Him providing for our daily needs. Isn't that right? In the offering, we give back a portion of what God has given as a recognition of thanks to God for Him meeting our daily needs that week. This is exactly sort of what a mincha is. It is a tribute to God. Now, in the tabernacle, this grain offering was often offered subsequent to the burnt offering. Remember, the burnt offering was offered in the morning. It was offered in the evening. And sometimes it was offered multiple times a day. And right after people had dedicated themselves to God, they would offer the grain offering, or at least in the tabernacle in a corporate sense, they would offer the grain offering for, to thank God for sustaining their daily needs, for giving them their daily bread. Now, last week we learned there were different types of grain offerings that were offered based on the financial acumen of the worshiper. Uh, a guy who was quite well off, it was appropriate for him to offer a bull. I mean, that's a lot of money. That's a, that's a $3,500 set to $7,000 offering to dedicate himself to the Lord. You know, a lot of meat, over 2,000 pounds of beef goes up on the altar. Now, in the same way, in the grain offering, there's two different types of grain offerings that represent the financial ability of the worshiper to thank God for how He has met their daily needs. Let's look at the first one. It's called the uncooked grain offering, or I call it expensive worship. It says, when anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all of the frankincense 
and the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offering. I'd like to begin by looking at what the grain offering was made out of. It was made out of, it says, fine flour. When you study this flour, you know that this was the kind of flour that was typically used in kings' palaces. It wasn't common flour. It was special flour. It was taken from the inner grains of the wheat, and it was then ground. And it wasn't ground just once. It was ground multiple times. Fine flour, you have to understand, was within anybody's reach to make. It was just a lot of work to produce. We're talking heavy kitchen time. There is no machine you run this thing through and it grinds it up like we have today. It was between two stones, a mortar and a pedestal, constantly grinding this thing. It would take, you know, I'm assuming hours to grind enough of this kind of flour to make into bread. And the first thing that struck me with this is that when you were to give a grain offering, which is a portion of your income, your, your daily bread to the Lord, it was to make sure that you gave the best. It was the inner kernels. And it wasn't just flour that you sort of stamped one or twi two times together. You spent time beating this stuff down, grinding this stuff down. So this m turned into some really nice stuff. And isn't that appropriate? Because when we give to the Lord, aren't we supposed to give our best? Because the quality of the gift we give reflects our love for the giver. Doesn't it? The quality of the gift we give reflects our love for the giver. Men, Christmas is coming. And you are now trying to think of what to buy for your wife, right? And hasn't she told you, don't buy me anything, correct? If you listen to her, you're in serious trouble. All the men say, amen, right? Now, what happens if you actually listen to her? And she says, don't spend any money on me because, you know, I would just prefer you not to do it. And so you say, all right, well, I won't spend any money on you hardly at all. And so you're thinking I should give her something under the tree. So you go down to the garage sale and you happen to be looking through the garage sale for some really cheap stuff that's used. And you find this really nasty sweater that just happens to be her size. And it has moth holes in it, and you smell it, and it smells like mothballs and 50-year-old B.O. And you're like, well, she said don't spend any money. It's only a quarter. And so you, you know, toss them a quarter, and you put this, this nasty-looking sweater that's her size in a box, and you put it under the tree. And she, like for the weeks leading up to Christmas, she's deodorizing the house because she can't find the source of this nasty smell. Why are you guys looking at each other? There's husband and wives right now that are in some serious tension moments. Obviously, this has happened before. And so, you know, Christmas morning comes and she opens it up and there's this nasty, gnarly sweater. And you say, well, you told me not to spend any money. And if you have given her a rolling pin in previous years, she will use it at that point, right? Yeah. 
You have used the rolling pin, I can tell. Well, the deal is this, that the quality of the gift is a reflection of the love for the giver. And so when people were to give even just their daily offering of God, a portion of their daily bread, in thanks to God for sustaining their life that week, was it just supposed to be any portion? It's supposed to be the best portion because it's a reflection of their love to God. Now, how does this translate into our life today? We give a mincha, we take an offering, we, we give a little tribute of our, what God has provided to meet our daily needs each week. Well, one of the things we do is we write our check first, right? Our offering check first. But then our offering is not just financial. Our offering is ourselves. We give ourselves in worship to the Lord each week, don't we? Now, here's my question for you. Knowing that you're going to give yourself to God on Sunday morning in worship to Him. What time do you go to bed on Saturday night? Do you stay up late, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning? Probably not this service, second service probably. Uh, but you know how you can do that, and then you come into church on Sunday morning, and you are barely able to stay awake. And after a while, you're like, well, I'm not giving God the best of myself in worship to Him. I'm giving Him the leftovers. That's not, that's not a proper reflection of the gift. Or if you're serving here at Crosswinds, and you're, maybe you're a greeter at the door, or maybe you're serving in the Gathering Grounds coffee bar, or you're, or you're an usher, do you show up late? Do you say, well, maybe I make it, maybe I don't? You give God your absolute best, because the quality of your gift and return, what you return to Him is a reflection of your love to the giver. And even, say you are not necessarily here on a Sunday morning where you're serving in the coffee bar or you're serving as an usher, do you realize that you are here this morning as a representative of Jesus Christ as you walk the halls? And you know how sometimes we can have one of those crabby, nasty attitudes? <laughs> but our attitude is a reflection to others of what Christ looks like. So we have an attitude of our best. We love people the best we can, because it's a reflection of our love for Jesus as we love others along the way. Now, the other thing to notice, by the way, you notice where the priests get their food? The priests get their food from um, the people, because the way this worked was people were to bring their finely ground flour they had spent so much time on. They were to mix it with oil, which had the nice added benefit of making it flammable. <laughs> and then this offering, they were also to take frankincense, which by the way was a very costly spice, an imported spice. This is why this is expensive worship. And they were to add the frankincense to it. Now, what the priest did is he took a portion of this fine flour that was mixed with oil and all of the frankincense, and he put it on the altar. And that oiled flour burned, and that frankincense burned, and it set off a sweet aroma in worship to God. But the rest of that oiled flour, who ate it? The priests. 
This was to supply the priest's needs. So what you have is when you have grateful people to God for providing their daily bread and sustaining your needs, you have healthy priests because they're surviving off the gratefulness of the people. But when you have ungrateful people who aren't offering the grain offering of their daily bread, what do you end up with? Skinny priests, right? So this is how it works. God's people survive off of God, or the priests survive off of the gratefulness of God's people to God. Well, that's the first way you offer the grain offering. There's another way you offered the grain offering, because the reality is that many people could not afford to buy frankincense to offer in their offering every day. That was expensive. So you have what's called the cooked grain offering, or what I call hard work worship. This is going to be fun. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour, same flour, mixed with oil, or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be of fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. And it is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is, that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar. That is a piece of it. And a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offering. So you can't afford to uh, buy frankincense, but yet you're grateful to God to meeting your daily needs. You have daily bread. So what do you do? Well, everybody makes this fine flour. Everybody has to put in the hard work to give their absolute best in worship. But these guys, what they do, instead of adding frankincense to it, they do the extra hard work of cooking it and preparing it. Now, in a moment, you're going to see that, well, I'm just going to point out to you, all these breads are unleavened. And that's important, and we'll see why in a moment. But let's look at how practical these things are. The first kind of uh, cooked grain offering is essentially a loaf of bread, isn't it? It's a loaf. It's an oiled loaf. Pretty simple. Without leaven. The next kind of cooked grain offering, it says here, are wafers smeared with oil. So you have this same kind of fine flour. Instead of uh, being put into a loaf form, it's put into a flat form. It's covered with oil, and it's baked, and it comes out as crackers. That's what it is. It's crackers. You thought the Old Testament was like totally disconnected from real life. We have bread, we have crackers, and what happens when you take flour and you mix it with oil? Remember, this is unleavened, so it's a little different, and then you put it in a pan. What do you end up with? Pancakes, right? This is the Old Testament version of pancakes. Now, we take pancakes and we cut it up and we put syrup on top, don't we? What did they do? They broke it up and they put oil on top. 
Now, some of you are thinking, this is so incredibly gross. How could we put oil on our bread? When you go to a fancy restaurant, what do they do? They pour olive oil in a tray, and they put some spices on top of it. And what do you do with your bread? You dip your bread in the oil. So is this tasty, good stuff? Yes. Now, the other thing you have here, it says this bread could be cooked in a pan. Uh, and if you look at the Hebrew in here, it's a pan that is a covered pan. And it's sort of like a sauce pot. Now, we don't know, I don't know exactly, I didn't take the time to try at Thanksgiving in the, in, the, in the kitchen exactly how this would turn out. But from what I've been able to read, to read it, you end up with something that looks like donuts. So you have a loaf of bread, you have crackers, you have pancakes, and you have donuts. And I say this to you because we often think this is so like long ago, far away, no connection. When you go to Hy-Vee this week and you look at the cracker aisle, think about the grain offering. When you look at the donuts, at Spud Nuts, think about the grain offering. Because this is exactly what people did to, to be able to offer this to God. Now let me flip on the next page here. The first fruits offering. The grain offering was offered all the time, but the first fruits grain offering is offered at a special time. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruit fresh ears, roasted with fire, crushed new grain, and you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It's a grain offering. And the priest shall burn its memorial portion, some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It's a food offering to the Lord. So remember, the grain offering is like thanking God for our daily bread. It is offered all the time. But the first fruits offering is offered in harvest time. It's when, in harvest time, when all of a sudden you have lots of grain coming around. And the first fruits offering is the very beginning of your grain harvest. Now, think of it this way. You guys ever uh, plant a vegetable garden? You ever plant tomatoes in the summer? And you see those tomatoes ripening? And you start to salivate because you can't wait to pick that first ripe tomato, Right? Because you can't wait to have it because it is the best tomato of the season because you have waited all winter for this fresh tomato. But here it says, you take that first grain, what is first and what is best, and you give it to God as an act of worship. Because we always give Him what is first and we give Him what is best. And as a way of dedicating that to God was a way of thanking God for the vast harvest that was about to be taken in. Now, this can apply to us. Because when we pass the offering plate each week, it's a way of giving mincha. It's a way of giving tribute and thanking God for meeting our daily needs that week. But aren't there special seasons in our life when all of a sudden we have a windfall? And we have a lot more than just our daily needs are met by God. Maybe a relative dies, and all of a sudden you receive an unexpected inheritance. And you've gone from, 
surviving on daily bread to having way extra bread. Maybe you've set apart some investments, and the investments have done amazingly well. How do we respond? That's the time to give a first fruits offering. You take from this windfall and you say, God, I want to give you the first check. I want to give you the best check. I want to do this as an act of worship to thank you for being the one who provided this amazing harvest. It's all an act of your grace. Thank you for sustaining my life. Isn't that what we do to translate this into life today? Now, as we continue, um, there are some things that are absent from this offering. Let's look at that. What was absent from the offering? No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven, nor any honey, as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. Why was this bread supposed to be unleavened? Leaven is the yeast. It's what makes the, the bread rise. It gives it all those nice holes in it. It makes it all soft and cushy. When Israel was taken out of Egypt, remember they came out so fast that they never had time to let their bread rise. They left with unleavened bread. And leaven quickly became associated with being living in bondage. It became associated with sin. It became associated with corruption. By the time you get to Leviticus chapter 2, God says, there's no leaven in your bread because in what you offer to me, there is no sin. There is to be no corruption. It is to be pure. Because, see, yeast, what it does is it's actually a form of rot. It's a form of decay. It's a form of death. None of that was to be associated with what we offered to God. In fact, even when you get to the New Testament, you see that leaven is still associated with sin. Jesus began to speak to His disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypo hypocrisy. Or in 1 Corinthians 5, Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. No sin, no corruption in our offering. That's what, there's, why there's no leaven in this bread. Also, there is to be no honey. Now you say, why is honey absent from this bread? Because honey makes things taste good. But what does rot like to eat on to make it go faster? Sugars, right? Now, we know this in our house because my kids would always have the habit of opening a Gatorade bottle and they would drink half of the Gatorade bottle and would end up in their gym bag during the summer and you'd sort of forget about it and you'd come back a few weeks later, empty out their gym bag and there was this half-drunk thing of Gatorade with all this stuff growing in the Gatorade. I don't know what that stuff is, but it's gross and it floats. But what is it eating? What's, why is it surviving? The sugar. The sugar in the Gatorade. And in the same way, there's to be no honey in this bread because this honey is the sugars, and this is what would increase the rot, increase the corruption. 
And, and God says, there is to be none of this corruption or death that is to be in, in my offering that you give to me. And so when you see no leaven, this is, this is why. But just like there is to be no, no leaven or honey present in the offering, there is to be something that was to make sure there is to be no... Leaven and honey was to be absent from the offering. There was to be something present in the offering. And this is salt. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall let, not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offerings. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Salt is to be on this stuff. So you end up with grain offerings that are a little bit like pretzels. You guys like pretzels? Well, they taste good because they have salt on them. And for you guys who don't like pretzels in the back, you just need my pretzels. They're better. But here's the deal that makes it really interesting. Salt is a preservative, right? Salt fights corruption. Salt fights decay. This is why you have salted meats. Because salted meats last a very long time even though meat would be like the number one corruptible thing. Now, what you have in the Old Testament is salt becomes increasingly associated with keeping a covenant or keeping a promise. And so if you were to say, hey, there is salt between us. I've made a promise to you. I have salt between us. That means I'm going to keep that promise. I'm not going to break that promise. In fact, if you go down and you look at the Babylonians, they would say that there is salt between them and a tribe, which means they have a covenant between them and a tribe. Arab Bedouins would talk about salt that was used between uh, them and other people, meaning there was an unbreakable covenant between them and other people. In fact, this idea of salt of the covenant, an unbreakable promise from God Himself, goes throughout the Scriptures. Let me just show you one example of this. 2 Chronicles 13.5 Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a what? By a covenant of salt. What this says is that God has promised that a king of Israel, or a king of David, would always sit on the throne of Israel forever. It is a rock-solid guarantee from God. It is a covenant of salt. Now, who does this guy end up being who sits on the throne of David forever? Jesus. Jesus doesn't just live for 60 or 70 years. Jesus lives forever. Jesus is a descendant of David. You see how this works? Now, what can we learn from the grain offering? Let's just do some practical things. The grain offering reminds us to give a regular thank offering to God for meeting our daily needs, doesn't it? The grain offering reminds us that we should give a regular thank offering to God for meeting our daily needs. The burnt offering teaches us that we're saved by being dedicated to God and having our sins covered or actually paid for by Jesus once and for all. 
The grain offering teaches us that now that we're in a relationship with God, the proper response is that we worship Him and thank Him every week, all the time, for sustaining our life. Second thing, the grain offering reminds us that when we give to God, we give our best, don't we? Remember the fine flour? It was to be the, the best of your flour. It wasn't just to be like the leftovers you gave to God. And you were to do the hard work of grinding it multiple, multiple times. So it was, it was good stuff. Now, if you had the money, you gave your fine flour with frankincense. But if you didn't have the money, you did the extra work to repair the fine flour into a loaf of bread. And I often think that the frankincense produced a wonderful aroma to God, but the baked bread, does that produce a good aroma too? Either way, there was a beautiful aroma to God, whether it was an average worshiper or an expensive worshiper, when they brought a th the grain offering to God, thanking Him for meeting their needs of daily bread and sustaining their life. Number three, point of application, the grain offering reminds us that God provides for our daily needs, isn't it? God is the one who provides for our daily needs. The Scriptures read this way, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. See, what happens is God's people were living hand to mouth. It was a, they were pretty poor. They weren't well off. But when God brings them into the land of Canaan, His plan was to literally bless the socks right off their body. All kinds of grain and houses and wealth. And He was delighting in blessing them. But here's the problem when things go financially well for us. Don't we forget where we came from? Don't we forget who provides our daily needs, our daily bread. The grain offering, picture it, those who are so wealthy, like a loaf of bread is nothing to them, but yet they're grinding it. They're grinding it, doing the hard work of making bread or, or, or the, the fine flour with oil and incense and offering it to God as a way of them remembering that God is the one who provides their daily bread every day. Now, some of us, it's almost like we're in the promised land. God has blessed us immeasurably well financially. The challenge for us is not to forget where we came from. The challenge for us is not to forget who is the one who gives us our daily bread and sustains our daily need. And when we give our offering, we need to remember that we give as an act of thankfulness to God who gives us what we need to survive every week and every day. Amen?
The grain offering also reminds us about the other side. The grain offering teaches us to trust God for our daily needs. Deuteronomy 11 talks about this. God says, the land you are entering to take over, talking about the promised land, is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. The picture is that when they were in Egypt and they planted a crop, they watered it by foot. Now, I don't know if that means... that. Well, here's the deal. They have the Nile River right in Egypt. There's never a problem with water. Perhaps watering it by foot means they grab a bucket and they literally walk over and dump it on their vegetable garden. Maybe watering it by foot means they just kick up a trench with their foot and the water runs from the Nile right next to their vegetable garden. So they have no problem with water, no problem producing vegetables. But in the promised land, you have no Nile River. It is a beautiful land, but it is watered by rainfall. Who sends the rain? God. So for the first time, they have to learn to farm by faith. They have to put their crop in the ground and pray and trust God will send the rain. So it will grow and they will send the rain at the right time so they will have a harvest. So when they give an offering, a grain offering of their daily bread to thank God for sustaining them, they are saying in faith that God will give them later on the rain, the bread they need to make it through the rest of the season. Now I know some of you are in that exact same situation. Your problem is not opulence. Your problem is that you are looking to find, God, do I have the basic needs every day? And you think when the offering plate goes by, you know, if, if I put in a mincha, I put in a tribute, a, a portion of what God has given me that week, things are going to be really tight. I may not have everything I need to make it to next Sunday. Here's my challenge to you. Farm by faith. Put in a tribute to God, an offering to thank Him for meeting your daily needs, and trust Him. Trust Him to come through and you make it to the end of the week. Because this is what the great offering is. It's a way of thanking God for providing your daily bread. It's a way of trusting God for providing your daily bread. In fact, what does Jesus tell us we should pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Provide what we need. And lastly, what does this grain offering teach us about Jesus? Because I told you that all of these point forward to Jesus, and they tell us why He came. And there's actually two reasons in here, but I'm just going to focus on one. In John chapter 6, Jesus was teaching, and He was very popular. He had been doing ministry for about a year, and He went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. If you know the story, what happened is uh, all kinds of people followed Him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and into the wilderness to hear Him teach, and there He taught all day. And the, the day came to an end, and there was no food for them to eat. 
And so to test his disciples, he said, you know, is there anything here? What, do, what can we do to feed him? And one of them said, all we have is a little boy's lunch, five small loaves and two fish. And Jesus sat them all down. There's 5,000 men plus women and children. And Jesus gave thanks and broke met bread. And Jesus provided the daily bread for, what, 15,000 people out of a little boy's lunch? Now it gets interesting because the next day, Jesus, well, Jesus walked across the water, went back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. People were looking for him. They went, we want more free lunch. We want more free daily bread. So they went on the other side. They found him. And this is the um, part of what transpired. This is what Jesus said to them. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. And it continues a little later in the chapter. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for my life, for the life of the world, is my flesh. Jesus says, you want to live forever? You know what you need to eat on every day? You need to eat on me. And if you look at the beginning of John chapter 6, it says this was at the time of Passover. But one Passover later, Jesus was in Jerusalem. It was the Passover where Jesus would die. The Passover where he would be crucified. And what does he say to his disciples? And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He says, remember one year earlier where I, I fed all those people in the wilderness off one small boy's lunch and they kept coming back saying we need more physical bread and I told them what you really need to eat on is the bread of life and that I am the bread of life which you need to eat on is me. Here he brings it up right there and he says what you need is me and I am the one you need to eat on every day. Now, here's what I want you to think about. What bread did he break at that time? What was it like? It was unleavened bread. It was salted bread. It was the bread from Leviticus chapter 2. The bread of Leviticus chapter 2 that was offered in the grain offering was thanking God for meeting your daily needs and sustaining your daily life. And Jesus comes along and says, you need to eat on me every day because, he said, I fed 5,000. I sustained their physical life. But more importantly, I am what you need to eat to sustain your spiritual life every day. 
And if we have dedicated our life to God and been brought into a relationship with Him, we need to continue to eat on Jesus every day because He is the one that sustains our spiritual life. He is the one that has brought us into a relationship with God once and for all. And so I ask you, many of you here have dedicated your life to God. Through Jesus Christ, you've been brought into a relationship with God. But do you eat on Him every day? Do you survive by Him being your daily bread? My challenge for you this week is to, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, or you don't have a regular prayer time, begin tomorrow. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, I have a special gift for you. At the Connection Center on the way out, I have some Bibles. They're New Living Translations, really easy to understand. I'm, I'll give you one. So you, tomorrow, you can begin, begin to eat on the bread of life. Because so much more important than the physical bread that sustains our life is Jesus, who sustains our spiritual life every day as we walk with Him. Amen? Dear Jesus, we come before you. And this last week we learned about the importance of having our sins paid for and being brought into a relationship with God through you. Today we come before you asking that we would walk with you. Help us to eat upon you every day. To pray with you and to know your word. And Jesus, we ask that you would sustain us. Thank you also for Leviticus chapter 2 this reminder of the grain offering, of thanking you for sustaining physical life and communion. For it reminds us that we thank you for sustaining our spiritual life as well. In Christ's name we ask this. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.